Which pop punk singer is actually a doctor of molecular biology? Which indie band singer once got a conviction of assault after beating up someone who slagged off his girlfriend's coat? And do lesbians really rub their labias together? All of these questions and many more will be answered on this week's The 2000s Chart Show. The 2000s Chart Show. The 2000s Chart Show. Yes, indeed, this is the 2000s Chart Show, the chart show where every week we are celebrating the UK Top 40 from 20 years ago. I am your host, Samuel Spencer, and I realise that, of course, our theme song now is out of date because Top of the Pops in 2004 had a brand new theme tune. So the question is, should we update our theme song? Let's listen to what it would sound like with the new Top of the Pops theme. The 2000 Chart Show absolutely not no that's awful the irony is is that that would actually sound more like we had bought royalty free podcast theme song music so terrible see last week for the full rant about top of the pops i cannot do it again for my blood pressure but oh god they made some terrible decisions and talking about terrible decisions probably let's see what the british public was buying in the singles chart 20 years ago we have new songs from tupac yes he was dead pay it no heed scissor sisters maroon 5 the offspring and the Zootons, who said that January was a dumping ground for music. Well, I did right now, because not the strongest week, although lots of exciting things to talk about. So let's kick right off. Our first new release is not till number 27. So here is a breakdown of everything from number 40 to number 30 to get you into the spirit of 2004 pop music. Starting with at 40 then, in its sixth week, down from 32. The last time they teamed up with a legendary piano player, it was Elton John and it got to number one, whereas Blues featuring Stevie Wonder's Sign Still Delivered I'm Yours reached a peak of number 11 and is now at number 40. they were blue her not to get into the top 10 with that one 39 the voice within by christian regulera although i still think that christian regulera should maybe choose one note rather than eight notes for every syllable of a song i have warmed to the voice within as we've gone on in fact my own voice within has been saying to me come on sam it's not that bad Thirty-eight in its fourth week, I Won't Change You by Sophie Ellis-Bexter. That reached a peak of number nine. I'm sure Sophie Ellis-Bexter wished she could change that, but she, when she comes back in three years, it's with the iconic Catch You. So maybe she needed all that time off to come back and be the cuntiest possible pop diva. about someone who will come back with a bang after a slight flop at 37 in its seventh week down from 30 powerless by Nelly Furtado we are now only two Nelly Furtado singles away from the iconic Maneater and of course she is going to headline Mighty Hoopla this year in 2024 so we will be talking much more about Ms Furtado as we go along
thankfully, at 36, this is probably the last time we're ever going to be talking about, in its ninth week, down from 26, a former number two single, I'm Your Man, by Alfie Moon himself, Shane Ritchie. Someone I'm much sadder to be saying goodbye to is this week at number 35, her last ever week in the UK Top 40, and so we are saying goodbye to Amy Stutt with All I Want to Do. I want to do is go back to 2004 and tell the British record buying public to sort themselves out and support Amy Stutt because she only gave us bangers although all I want to do is a little reductive but certainly under the thumb misfit and just a little girl all iconic bops she deserved to release a second album at 34 this is in its 15th week on the chart the longest running chart run of this week by far it still has one more week to go so it will reach a full four months next month his next single is coming along in May. How well will it do? Well, the fact that he's considered a one-hit wonder may indicate how well the next song by Kevin Little does. But here he is with his iconic mid-2000s bop, Turn Me On. The Funeral of Hearts by him. Not quite a funeral for their time in the top 40. This song will be at 38 next week, but certainly time to start saying your goodbyes to His Infernal Majesty. In its 10th week, another former number two single down from 29 last week, Girls Aloud with Jump. I have it on the good authority that Girls Aloud are currently auditioning people to be the DJ on their tour. I know this because I spoke to someone who was auditioning for that and so that's very exciting. It means this tour is definitely happening. Obviously, we all knew that it was when I paid through the nose for the tickets but now I'm just getting ever more and more excited for Kimber, Shazza, Nadas and who's the other one? Kimber, Nadas, Shazza, Nicholas. I don't know. Going to be the gig of 2024, I'm sure. At 31, we have I Promise by Stacey Orico. I was listening to this again this week and is it just me or does she really sound like Siobhan from the Sugar Babes towards the beginning of this song? Will I be that one you need? Will I do all my best to, to protect you? This song was just like 20% less schmaltzy. It could really fit on Revolution in Me, the first Siobhan album. But of course, Schmaltzy is the calling card of Ms. Diane Warren, who wrote this song. Last week, we said that she had 14 Oscar nominations. And pretty much, I think the day that we were recording this, she got her 15th Oscar nominations in the 2024 Oscars. She's nominated for Best Supporting Actress. No, no. 
haha no she's nominated again for best original song she wrote the song the fire inside from the eva longoria directed cheetos biopic yes no really that is a film that exists flaming hot performed in that film i believe by becky g who i don't know that much about but i assume that she's the daughter of dario g the european dj of the 90s and kevin g from mean girls my husband works in the film industry and apparently he is hearing whispers that all anyone can talk about is the song the fire inside from flaming hot so this could be finally the time that diane warren gets her first competitive oscar she got an honorary one a few years ago but still has not won in competition it would be insane if her becky g cheetos song was the one that got it for her and not like i don't want to miss a thing by aerosmith but that's kind of the way the oscars work so wishing the best of luck to diane warren has two songs in the uk top 40 this week because she wrote not only i promise but also too lost in you by the sugar babes which we'll talk about in a few places but first at 30 in its seventh week on the chart my immortal by evanescence this pain is just too real there's just too much that time can This song features the lyric, his presence won't leave me alone, which is about a ex-lover whose memory haunts you, of course, but it could also be about the manager who Amy Lee alleged in a court case had been responsible for financial and sexual misconduct. This lawsuit was filed in December 2005. She charged him, this is according to MTV, of breach of fiduciary duty, and that's to do with money, sexual assault and battery, professional negligence, and currency conversion. One of these is not like the others. I'm not sure why that's a legal thing. I'm not a American legal scholar. I know, shocking. This suit claimed that the manager, who was called Dennis Ryder, neglected Lee's, that's Amy Lee from Evanescence's career and business and has focused his efforts on having extramarital affairs, hiding them from his wife, becoming intoxicated during business meetings, physically abusing women and boasting about it, making repeated unwelcome sexual advances towards Lee, receiving fees in excess of what was provided for in his management agreement and using Lee's corporate credit card to purchase gifts for his mistress. Exactly what went on between them, we will never know. On December the 1st, where he launched his own suit against her for breach of contract this was after she cut ties with him as her manager after he still agreed to manage her former bandmate ben moody with whom she had a dramatic falling out in a statement through his lawyer at the time dennis Ryder said rider management and dennis Ryder have fully performed all of the duties and obligations owned owed by the firm under the management agreement to miss lee and evanescence Further, Ryder has always conducted himself by the highest professional standards and conducted his business relationships with Miss Lee in a transparent, appropriate and entirely legal fashion that she would now suggest otherwise is appalling and untrue. Of course, we do not know exactly who was telling the truth between the two of them, but we do know that Amy Lee requested for her lawsuit to be dismissed in December 2006. Basically, the more you look into Evanescence, the more lawsuits there are, because not only was this this lawsuit, I think Ben Moody sued his management in the end for trying to try and get some royalties out of an Evanescence. All a bit of a mess. You could say that their true My Immortal was the amount of time that they would spend in court. Again, ha ha. So that is at number, where were we? 30. 
our first new entry is at number 27 behind at 29 in its fourth week Bring It On and My Lover's Prayer by Alistair Griffin and at 28 Atomic Kitten with Ladies Night now from 23 in its sixth week Your boss thinks that you're lazy Friends all think you're crazy Your boyfriend's left the TV's gone Come on your disco so, our first new entry of the eight that we are looking at this week is at 27 Easy World with Till the Day. But I gladly put up with this shit till the day that I die. Well, we've had our problems, but hey, hasn't everyone? As soon as they're gone, we'll just drag here they are on Pop World in 2004, explaining who they are and also what this song, Till the Day, is about. So who are Easy World? Explain who you are to me. Um, we three. My name is Dave. And I'm Glenn. And I'm Joe. Hi, Simon. <coughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi. And we're a band and, we, and we, we, make, uh, we make very, very wonderful records. The single, Till the Day? Yes. What is that about? That's, um, that's uh, it's in, in many ways, uh, a good old-fashioned love story. Um, oh. Yeah, no, you are indeed. But um, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of love songs that, that kind of uh, are to do with you know getting down and dirty and shaking your thing and generally uh, getting it on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's more of a it's more of a, a romantic sentiment about sort of generally really liking someone quite a lot. But and, not getting and any action. Not getting action. But that's the story of my life. Thanks, guys. That is, by the way, David Ford, Joe Taylor, and Glenn Hooper. Make up Easy World. Joe Taylor did something very funny to get a place in Easy World. Apparently, she saw one of their gigs of their one of their former bands called Sheedley. She went up at the end and said their current bassist was shy, basically, and that they needed to hire her. Despite this hard sell, it was a few years later that she would join the band. This was apparently they put an advert in the window of a local music store, and then she happened to be one of the people who picked up the ad, and then she finally joined the band. Nice coincidence there. On the Easy World website, which does not exist anymore, shocker, but has been archived on archive.org, they all give some Q&A answers, and Joe Taylor's answers are bizarre in places, shall we say. I'll read you some of them. She says that her best male singer is Bono, and her best female singer is Madonna. I mean, I love Madonna, but best female singer? Not sure. She said the best gig she ever saw was when she saw Stomp, which I assume is the musical where people clatter on bins, at the Brighton Dome. Big Stomp fan. Interesting. So her favourite town or city is Chester. Okay, I'm like, have you ever been to London? Dunno. Chester? It's just Hollyoaks, really. Though I did uh, sleep with a guy from Chester once, and he did have a massive dick, so maybe that's why she likes Chester. She's also asked who should be running the country, and she says Rolf Harris, a reference that's dated brilliantly. And she's she's asked what are you scared of, and she says running out of time. Well, we have unfortunately run out of time. Should we talk about Joe Taylor from Easy World? In the lyrics to the song Till the Day, they say, I get the feeling I'm just not cut out for this. And if this was the top 40, then they may have had a point. This is their highest 
entry they will ever have. They previously had one top 40 single when Junkies got to number 40 in February 2003, and this is their last ever appearance on the top 40. The band would split in 2004. Seems that the feeling was mutual. Their record label was not keen on how their music wasn't charting very well and was due to drop them, and then apparently one of the members sent a letter to their record label saying that they were not happy and wanted the contract cancelled. So I think it was a bit of a I'm not fired, I quit kind of vibe. But no one can ever say they didn't get to number 27 this week 20 years ago easy world there last time probably we'll ever talk about them but aren't you glad that you now can instantly forget that you've known anything about the band easy world at 26 now a big flop for this band this song got to number 13 last week and has now dropped 13 places to number 26 it's everybody cries by liberty x While everybody might not cry, certainly Kelly, Michelle, Jessica, I want to say Tony and, I don't know, Simon, question mark, will have reason to cry with that result. Another song that didn't do as well as it might, I saw someone posting on Twitter, one of our followers this week, that this song deserved to be much higher than number 10, which is undoubtedly true. It was happened to enter the chart on one of the most competitive chart races of all time. Listen back to our Christmas episode for that. It, so it did get to number 10 in December, but remains the third biggest selling song for the Sugar Babes. This is in its sixth week, down from 19, Too Lost in You. Falling into your course another diane warren song who am i to question diane warren's lyrics well i do ask can you be both lost in something and caught in it surely if you're caught in it you can be seen is that being too pedantic not sure it's like are you a net or are you a tunnel it's like the lyrics to lady gaga's shallow when she's like i'm on the deep end what should i dive in i'll never hit the ground we're far from the surface where they can't hurt us it's like are you in a swimming pool or are you in the ocean because it's really unclear anyway we don't need to talk about that actually ever because i'm never going to talk about the 2010s on this podcast properly so never going to talk about lady gaga's shallow again but we'll probably talk about Too Lost in You by the Sugar Babes, at least for one more week, because it's at here at number 25, behind in its eighth week. Staying Firm at number 24, had a peak of number 10 back at the end of November. This is The Closest Thing to Crazy by Katie Melua. The closest thing to crazy I have ever been Feeling 22 Acting 17 Although she is at number 24 in the singles chart, this is a big week for Katie Melua because after 12 weeks on the chart, her album Cool Off The Search finally is at number one in the album chart this week, knocking Dido off the top spot after spending 10 weeks at number one. A double blow for Dido this week, actually, because this is the week where Life For Rent the single has left the charts. It is at number 47. And so really, at this point, Dido's peak period is over. She will never have another top 10. She'll never have an album that is as big as No Angels or Life for Rent. But in the questionnaire for Glenn Hooper of Easy World on the Easy World website, he does say that Dido is his favourite female singer. So hopefully that was a small consolation for old Florian, which is, as you well know, Dido's real first name. Just another side note about the outer reaches of the singles chart. This week... At number 83 is a return to the chart for Christmas is All Around by Billy Mack. What the fuck? I mean, obviously, like, if you're at number 83, you've probably sold, like, I don't know, like, 100 records or something. But still, why are people buying Christmas is All Around in February? 
probably the same people who have left Christmas time down at the bell's end by the darkness at number 46. People just can't resist a bargain, can they? Even if it means buying a Christmas song fully a sixth into the year. Anyway, what was that tangent related to? Oh yes, Katie Melua at number 24 behind in its fourth week down from 16 as the rush comes by Motorcycle. We drift because uh, motorcycles are quite fast, but they seem to be uh, staying quite s- slowly in the chart. Yeah, mm, motorcycles, great. 22, now, this is what I say to myself after doing that terrible transition. Uh, good luck. Don't call us, we'll call you. This is Basement Jacks featuring Lisa Kukula. down from a peak of 12 last week was at 17 and it's third week down at 22 behind our second new entry just missing out in the top 20 ryan adams with so alive to be confused with Brian Adams something that actually pissed off Brian Adams at a certain point he had a famous confrontation with a fan who I think deliberately was mistaking him for Brian Adams this was in October 2002 in Nashville someone at the in the audience apparently yelled out a request for him to play Summer of 69 the classic Brian Adams song apparently this is according to the Tennessean newspaper Adams reacted with a stream of expletives and ordered the house lights to be turned on. He found the fan who had said it, paid him $30 cash on the stage as a refund, and then threw him out of the auditorium, saying that he would not play another note until that guy had left. Later on, in fact, 12 years later, Ryan Adams would deny that he had kicked that guy out because he was asking for a Brian Adams song. He said that he did it because the guy was drunk while he was trying to play, like, his soft acoustic songs, having this guy shout over them was the reason he asked to kick him out. Although eventually... In April 2015, when he played at the same location, he would have the good grace to actually just play Summer of 69 to bring the event to full circle, which you might think is a good gesture, but Ryan Adams, definitely not a good guy for reasons we will get into in a sec. But first, let's talk about where he was at the start of 2004, and the answer is not well. In January 2004, Ryan Adams, in a gig in Liverpool, fell off the stage and broke his wrist, a move that led him to have to have some painful rehabilitation and kind of derailed his music career for a while he told enemy at the time i heard the noise but i didn't feel the pain the sound of my wrist breaking off my arm was really loud Ooh, breaking off my arm Ooh, that sounds not a nice way to put it it popped people heard it i think you could hear the break i remember thinking okay my neck is fine then making sure my back was okay then people came to help me then i looked at my arm and went oh shit to begin with i thought it was just swollen but after a first glance i knew exactly what had happened i was thinking this is it it's fucked. The more ghoulish among you would now be googling to see if there's any video footage of Ryan Adams falling off the stage. I can't offer you that. That would be wrong and disgusting. But I can offer you a audio recording of it that a fan did. Wait to hear the crash.
he fell six feet into an orchestra pit and fractured his left wrist during the performance of his song Shadowlands. He apparently also injured his leg and his microphone smashed his lip. So a nasty fall for Rod Adams. He said he had to relearn how to play guitar. A emotional time where he basically found him that he wasn't able to play for a while. He wondered whether he would be able to play music again. This led to him forming a backing band to kind of help him just in case he didn't get his full guitar abilities back but he eventually would after years of rehabilitation and recovery so then everything was fine for ryan adams until in february 2019 the new york times reported that seven women which included phoebe bridges and his ex-wife mandy moore had basically ryan adams had said that they would he would help them with their music careers and then pursue them romantically he would he retaliated against them if they spurned his, his advances trying to destroy their careers and harassing them allegedly in text messages and on social media he would deny these accusations when he issued a statement to the Daily Mail in July 2020 after initially denying them. It's a long statement so you can hunt it out for yourselves if you want the whole thing but I'll read part of it here. He says no amount of growth will ever take away the suffering I had caused. I will never be off the hook and I am fully accountable for my harmful behaviour and will be for my actions going forward. I hope that the people I've hurt will heal and I hope that they will find a way to forgive me. How could you do that to Mandy Moore the woman who brought us candy? How dare you? So this is Ryan Adams's penultimate UK Top 40 hit. In July 2004, he will get to number 27 with his cover of Oasis's Wonderwall. And when we talk about that song in a few months, we will also talk about his history of doing cover versions. Most famously, his retake of Taylor Swift's 1989. But he also has a kind of side job in doing cover versions of Iconic Pop. Not Iconopop, the singers of I Love It, of course. He hasn't done that yet. But yes, we will talk about that in a few months when he releases a cover. For now, we're heading in to the top 20, but first, let's look at some of the artists still to come. Six more new entries. The one I'm most excited about, well, the one I was most excited about 20 years ago, was The Scissor Sisters. This is their first single release in the UK, their cover of Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb. The Scissor Sisters, as important a part of my 2004 music education as Franz Ferdinand, which I talked about for, what, eight hours last week. I will not go on for so long about Scissor Sisters, but very important to me. Love that they were a huge selling band in the UK whose name was named after a lesbian sex position, which we will get into later. I won't get into the position. Well, you won't be able to tell because it's radio, but you know what I mean. Yes, good. Scissor Sisters. Also, the UK debut of the song Harder to Breathe by Maroon 5. Is there really one out there? Because it's getting harder and harder to breathe. Maroon 5 will become chart herpes after this. They keep coming back despite the fact that no one wants them. But this first album, Songs About Jane, had some bangers on it. We will, of course, talk about who exactly Jane is and why Adam Levine was finding it harder and harder to breathe, which is the name of the song. So Maroon 5 making their debut, Sister Sisters making their debut, 2004, a big year for debuts. We had Franz Ferdinand. Now we are going to talk about two other important bands from the time. But first, a band with decades of experience in the charts coming back this is the offspring they have a new song their first song from their album splinter it was called hit that i was weirdly obsessed with this song at the time which we'll talk about later there's also some crazy facts about the offspring that i can't wait to share with you as well as those songs we also have songs from two-pack delays and the zootons but first we have a two-pack that is a pack of two songs otherwise known as a double a side single at number 20 in its fourth week down from 14 this group and let your head go by Victoria Beckham. She was never felt so good. I can take it. No longer ready to take it, brother. There's no time to talk it over, boy. You know I want ya. Can't you hear it in my voice? The way I'm needing you. Here's your chance, baby. I'm ready if you're coming through. There's no limit, baby. 
although of course the fact that this song started its chart run at number three means that she's the only Spice Girl whose songs all charted in the top 10. The fact that this is leaving the top 20 after a month means that this wasn't a great seller. Although probably at this point, got to have been the biggest selling Spice Girl song of 2004, right? Maybe Emma Bunton's I'll Be There scoops it out, which we will be talking about in a few weeks, by the way. In fact, I'm going to find out that, whether that's true. Not about Emma Bunton's song coming up, that is definitely true, but what the biggest selling Spice Girl song was of 2004. Okay, I've done some hard Googling and I can confirm that Let Your Head Go and This Groove was the biggest selling Spice Girl single of 2004. It was the 88th biggest selling single of the year in between Shut Up by the Black Eyed Peas and Millionaire by Khalees Switching Andre 3000. Good company. Although I have to say there are a few truly dreadful songs that managed to outsell it, as is always the way. Come On England is at number 81. That is a Come On Eileen parody featuring lyrics about England. With a little help from my friends by Sam and Mark. I mean, that was a number one single, but still dreadful. Although really looking at this list of the biggest selling songs of the 2004, mostly I'm just excited about some of the stuff we have coming up. You know, these last few weeks have been a bit of a slog, but there are some huge songs coming through just looking at some of these. What You Waiting For by Gwen Stefani, The Show by Girls Aloud, Dumb by The 411, Some Girls by Rachel Stevens, Dragon Star Dente by Ozone, McFly Start, Dip It Low by Chris- Christina Milian, If There's Any Justice by Lamar, Baby Cakes, The Eamon and Frankie dueling singles, Lose My Breath by Destiny's Child. Oh, we have some good weeks ahead of us, so we can just grit our teeth for now and talk about our next New entry at number 19, Pressure Point by The Zootons. of course now best known as the original performers of the song Valerie which gave Amy Winehouse a number two hit in 2007 but at this point in 2004 they are part of that very incestuous Liverpool music scene which we've talked about a bit over the last few weeks the lead singer of the Zootons Dave McCabe used to be in a band called Tramp Attack which we have talked about before because it also featured members of the band The Bandits who've had I think one or two low charting top 40s in the last few weeks and then two other members of the Zootons used to be in a band with members of the Stans can't remember Stans and the Bandits they were two bands that both sang like this you know one of the reasons that the Coral and the Zootons are the two biggest bands chart wise from that scene might be because they didn't sing like this I would imagine. And by the way, in case you thought that they had no link to the Coral, who are the other big band from this Liverpool scene, it was James Skelly from the Coral, the lead singer, who got the Zootons their record deal because he kept telling the head of the vocal label Delta Sonic that his friend Dave from the Zootons had potential even though every time that the label head had seen him in other bands, he said that they were shy. And, you know, maybe James Skelly shouldn't have been so complimentary because the Zootons, not that many good songs, let's be honest. I do really love their song, Why Don't You Give Me Your Love, but that kind of might be it. Although I'm sorry to kick off this conversation about the Zootons by talking about other bands from Liverpool. They would hate that. They once said in an interview that they hated the tendency of music writers and magazines to generalise a particular city as the breeding ground of new movements, with one of them saying, a lot of bands get lumped in. I'm not going to do the Liverpool accent wouldn't know where to begin a lot of Liverpool bands get lumped in when they're in the same neck of the woods and journalists especially in England like to make a big deal out of that and make it into a scene as if individual bands aren't good enough to write about well I would say in this scene the individual bands aren't good enough to write about on their own so we will put them into the context of Liverpool especially when all of these bands basically were in 
bands with each other at some point kind of makes sense to talk about them together so screw you the Zootons yeah in fact generally screw the Zootons because the Zootons was one of the worst ever gigs that I ever saw they were on the bill for Teeth on the Beach which was the first festival I ever went to in 2008 basically it seemed that the lead singer was now I don't want to libel him but he did seem to be a little drunk they basically just didn't want to be there I think they were angry that the song Valerie was getting a better reaction with Amy Winehouse than with them they were out of tune they kind of mumbled through their words it was a complete mess. We had been, you know, standing on the Western Supermare beach since like 6am. They were, I think, like second or third to last. It was absolutely dreadful. The only band that I've ever seen that were anywhere near to how bad they were were when I saw Crystal Castles at Lovebox 2012. And that wasn't their fault. It was because they were playing like strobe, noisy electro. And it was like blazing sunshine and they were outside and it was just didn't work. Oh, looking at this list of 2008 Two Four on the Beach performances though, really makes me quite excited to talk about 2008. Bass Hunter, The Zootons, Kelly Rowland, Neo, Scouting for Girls, The Hoosiers, Robin, The Feeling, The Pigeon Detectives, McFly, Guillemots, Alpha Beat, Feeder, The Ting Tings, Reverend the Maker, One Republic. Oh my god, One Republic were there? Wow. One Night Only. Oh god, they were dreadful. Sugar Babes, Dirty Pretty Things, Black Kids. Oh, great. Lightspeed Champion, The Automatic, The Script. Some of those bands are among the worst to ever do music. Not naming any names, Scouting for Girls. But all of them can't wait to talk about so keep listening for another four years sorry to scare you with that kind of commitment all of this to say fuck the Zootons and they can't even criticise why they're like oh why do people always lump us in with these other Liverpool bands well A because you've worked with all of them and B your album was produced by Ian Broody the exact same producer as the Corals album from 2003 so if you want to be seen as different maybe do something different just a suggestion by the way Ian Broody better known as the Lightning Seeds he has managed four number ones in his own right he was well, I say of his own right, but kind of not. He was part of Perfect Day 1997, which is basically a lot of very varied artists singing the song Perfect Day by Lou Reed. It was done as a advert for BBC Music, basically, in 1997. You, if you've not seen the video, you have to see this. It's incredible because it's basically they want to show the full range of BBC Music. And so it's like there'll be like Leslie Garrett, the opera singer, and then like Boyzone, and then David Bowie, and then Gabrielle, and Heather Small, and Tom Jones. It's a complete mess. I love it. Everyone's dressed like they're from space. Perfect Day 97. You need to stop this podcast right now and get into that. So that was a number one. And then the Lightning Seeds have been at number one three separate times with various versions of the song Three Lions, better known now as, and I can't believe I'm going to say these words, football's coming home. Okay, just gagging a little there. I won't play any of that, by the way, because I know that song can bring out gay people in hives at about 30 paces. Although I will play the Heather Small bit of Perfect Day 1997. Just a perfect day. Just a perfect day my impression of that but the Zootons here going back to them so you can just tell I'm literally finding anything to talk about other than the Zootons kind of shows how I feel about them they are very much a bridge between the old and the new here in this sentence so this is from the Wikipedia page for Pressure Point this song the music video was used in the PSP demo disc that of course the I think flop probably portable PlayStation device from this era so that's the future and the past the single was also featured in several Levi's commercials in 2004 and 2005 Levi's commercials have an underrated place in pop history by the way there have been seven separate number ones that became number one directly as a result of being in Levi's ads. Most of these in the 90s. Those seven number ones, by the way, are Inside by Stiltskin. A band, I believe, who were literally invented just to do the song from the Levi's ad. Then Spaceman by Babylon Zoo. anyone watched as much art attack as i did when i was a kid i felt the song spaceman was like 
the soundtrack to like every second item on that and smart uh, should i stay or should i go by the clash should i stay or should i go that was re-released in 1991 got to number one after being in the levi's ad flat beat by mr oizo <laughs> That was a kind of trance techno song sung by a floppy toy dog. Then Stand By Me by Ben E. King. So darling, darling, stand by me. That was originally, when it first was released, I think in the 60s, it charted at 27 and then went to number one after being in a Levi's ad in 1987. The Joker by the Steve Miller Band. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight joker. I think we're going to talk about the Fatboy Slim cover of that in a few months' time. And then Mr. Bombastic by Shaggy. She called me Mr. Bombastic, silly fantastic. Touch me on me box, she says I'm Mr. Romantic. Also another number one as a result of the Levi's ads. The John Lewis ads are their day, basically, but cooler, but not cool enough to get pressure point by the Zootons any higher than number 19. Yeah, not a big fan of the Zootons, even though I do like some of their songs. Basically, this is a revenge for me getting so excited about Franz Ferdinand as the future of indie last week. The next week straight afterwards, they're like, no, indie was still a bit shit at this point too. For every Franz Ferdinand, there was a Zootons. Just like for every Arctic Monkeys, there was a Pigeon Detectives. Things never change. However, this was the first of nine UK top 40s for the Zootons. Their peaks will be Why Don't You Give Me Your Love, which I mentioned, and Valerie, their versions of which both get to number nine. That was around 2007. You may wonder what the Zootons been doing since. Well, there's a great section in the Zootons lead singer Dave McCabe's Wikipedia page, which says, In September 2012, McCabe was found guilty of assault after headbutting and breaking the nose of a 23-year-old student in Liverpool city centre. Reportedly provoked by the victim and his friends laughing about his girlfriend's coat, McCabe claimed he was protecting himself after the group surrounded him. The victim maintained that McCabe lunged at him after overhearing the group laughing. He was given a community order and ordered to pay the victim £1,500 plus court costs of £3,500. I hope the coat was worth So that's the Zootons at number 19 and at number 18. Here's what that Liverpool student wasn't feeling after getting headbutted in the nose by Dave McCabe. Feeling Fine by Ultra Beat is at number 18, staying firm at number 18 from last week in its sixth week on the chart. By the way, a propos of nothing when I mentioned that Girls Aloud are currently auditioning DJs. If you're listening, Girls Aloud, I am available. I do have my own decks and encyclopedic knowledge of 2004 pop. If you can get over the fact that I didn't know all of your stan nicknames, I'm sure we could do some fun stuff together. Anyway, on to our next new entry, a double bill of new entries, in fact, starting with at number 17, Run In, brackets, Dying to Live by Tupac, featuring Notorious B.I.G. dead in 2004 the answer is yes they were but that's never stopped the record labels from exploiting you your actual death of course tupac might be the only artist in the uk charts to have had more hits when he was dead than when he was alive i haven't fact checked that but i can't think of anyone else unless elvis really stepped his pussy up so tupac had three hits three top 40 hits 
before his death in September 1996 in the UK and 13 afterwards, including a number one single in July 2005 when Ghetto Gospel was released. That was, of course, a duet with, and I use that term loosely because I don't know if you can duet with a dead person, Elton John. One of Elton John's 10 bizarre number ones. Listen back to, I think, what, April? No, August last year for us talking about Elton John's bizarre number ones. But yes, this is all part of the market of post-death Tupac. This song is a remix of a song released as a single for the documentary Tupac Resurrection, which was nominated for Best Documentary Feature in 2004. Not saying they were running out of Tupac material at this point, but this is a remix of a different song that they released after he was dead. But first, let's talk about what how this song was made when he was alive. This song started life as a song called Running From The Police, recorded by the pair in 1993, when they were still friends before their famous falling out that arguably led to the death of them both. It's the only song, by the way, that the pair of them recorded together. So this song then was released as Runnin' in November 1998, which made it the first time that a duet that featured two artists that were both dead made the top 40. I think that's another stat that any somewhat more chart obsessive than me they do exist, can verify. And so this song and the original version of Run-In were the only duets by people who were both dead to make the top 40 until that is December 2023, when Fairy Tale of New York returned to the charts after the death of Shane McGowan. It of course charted many times while both of them were still alive. Then it charted when Kirsten McColl died in a horrible speedboat accident and then charted again after Shane McGowan died in late 2023. But let's get into the Biggie and Tupac feud. If you're anything like me, you were spending more of your time listening to pop music than you were hardcore hip-hop, so you may know that these two had a falling out, but you might not be sure why, and so I'm going to tell you. This is from Ranker, by the way. I'm going to release a rival website that's called Ranker, R-A-N-C-O-U-R, and it's just me ranting about things. So the pair became friends during the filming of the film Poetic Justice, the iconic Tupac and Janet Jackson starring drama. In October 1993, they freestyled together on stage. Throughout that year, Tupac became a mentor to Biggie, who was trying to follow in his footsteps as a rapper. But then in November 1994, Tupac was attacked during a recording session at Biggie's studio. During this attack, the rapper was shot, beaten and robbed. Tupac heard as a rumour that Biggie had known that this attack was going to happen beforehand, but didn't warn him. And that which basically led to them falling out. Tupac, because he believed that Biggie had known about the attack. And Biggie, because he was angry that Tupac believed that he had something to do with the attack. These two would have been great on the traitors, wouldn't they? Then they basically traded barbs in the press leading to Biggie releasing a song in February 1995 called Who Shot Ya? Which is a little disrespectful. It's got vibes of what's going currently going on with Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion, which I'm not even going to get into because those barbs are nasty and messy. And if you're still a barb after what's happening, then you're the messiest of all. And I can't be doing with that. In October 1995, Faith Evans, who at the time was Biggie's wife, has alleged that Tupac propositioned her and she turned him down. Then Tupac released a diss track in June of 96. And by September, he was attacked in a drive-by shooting, dying six days later. And then in March, just six months later, Biggie was was also the victim of a drive-by. So a sad end for a feud that has, A, reminds me of Nikki and Megan, but also big vibes of the fight between Wiley and Dizzy Rascal that we talked about a lot 
last year. A lot of people getting attacked and then blaming other people for not telling them about those attacks. Which, fair enough. If someone shot and robbed me and my friend knew about it, I'd be pissed off too, to be honest, is my uncontroversial take on the whole thing. So if the Tupac and Biggie feud is still going on wherever they are, Tupac has definitely won the post-death feud because he has managed 13 UK top 40s since he died, whereas Biggie only has managed eight. Although he too managed a posthumous number one when his song Nasty Girl got to number one in January 2006. Although the big thing I remember about that song is there's basically no biggie in it at all. It's like one line and then it's just a load of like guest rappers. So exactly whether we can say that counts as the number one. It does because it says it on the official chart website and who am I to argue with them apart from the fact that they fucked up their website. But anyway, this remix, by the way, the Running Dying to Live remix, a complete mess. I'd say they were scraping the barrel of Tupac and Biggie material had they not continued to scrape the barrel even further for the next five years or so. Anyway, can't think of a song more different than Biggie and Tupac's Running Dying to Live as our second new entry at number 16. Here is The Delays with Long Time Coming. saying that that's funny because they're called the delays and long time coming there's been a delay genius delays by the way not the delays delays are a indie band from southampton who around this time were supporting franz ferdinand on their tour so part of that big indie boom apparently their lead singer greg gilbert said that this song was about watching people you love losing their innocence and the naivety that you shared when you were younger falling into the kind of adulthood you swore you never would and wishing you could have done something about it. It's a loss of innocence and also a spontaneity. People becoming really guarded and jaded. Friends stuck in jobs you know they don't want to do, living in houses they don't want to live in. So cheery stuff. Also, some people have said it's about a friend of theirs who died in a car crash, which one of them said at a gig, enduring a teary moment, because if there's one thing that the Delays boys are, it's emotional, which we love when straight men are emotional. I'm sure they were emotional at this point because this is their highest charting single ever the third of their six uk top 40 singles from a band yes as i said known for their emotions both there's two brothers in the band greg and aaron gilbert both of which have been very open about their suffering bouts of anxiety and depression during their time in the band and so that's why they wrote uplifting songs to help deal with the burden of depression which you know all comedians are clowns with tears in their eyes so i can understand what they're talking about there being one of the gilbert men does sound like a lot of fun though if you can deal with a little bit of eccentricity here's a few stories about them so they were meant to release a second album in april 2005 except aaron gilbert Lost the only copy of it, which had about 100 songs on it. Definitely something that I would do. But one week, I did record about half of this podcast without pressing record. (laughs) It was one of those where I was really doing it on Tuesday night as well. So it was like, oh no, I could just see my night's sleep ebbing away. On Anyway, but back to the delays. Another time, apparently when they were 18 years old, Adam woke up from a dream about a creaking door and rushed out of bed to try and capture the sound of it. It was 3.30am when he woke Greg to tell him. He was so fucking annoyed with me, laughs Aaron, this is from The Guardian, but he started playing along to it until it was getting light, and then we got the boys round, and we just played it for six straight hours. A euphoric time. Yep, definitely pinballing between euphoria and depression. They said that during the recording of their album Faded Seaside Glamour, which this song, Long Time Coming, is from, Aaron said that he was suffering from serious mental health problems, feeling suicidal, having to cancel shows, and basically getting through it only because of the help of his 
his brother. A reminder out there to anyone, by the way, if you are experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts, there are people out there to help you and to listen to you. So please find them. It's very hard to kind of make fun of the delays because they're very sad and their lead singer Greg Gilbert died of cancer in 2021 in quite a sad story that I think we will save for another time when their other singles come out including this song Valentine which I think is one of the best songs of the 2000s oh god I've just thought in the future I'll have to do a best of the 2000s list that's going to be the last ever episode I do though literally so talk about long time coming you have to wait a while for that one maybe I'll just make all the things you said by tattoo number one again why not? So the delays at number 16 and at number 15 in its second week down from 11. So not a huge drop off, but a number 11 placement. Not great. Just ask Blue. This is Me, Myself and I by Beyonce. Beyonce has one more single to release in 2004 and then takes a two-year break at which point she becomes a world beating artist so looking forward to that Beyonce's glow up of course she was always kind of a vision but she certainly won't be getting number 11 hits in a few years time at 14 a former number one in its ninth week doing very well will end the year as the 72nd biggest selling song of the year not bad sings it was of course released in 2003 leave right now by Will Young we will leave right now the song leave right now because at 13 is our next new entry three new entries still to come by the way offspring the scissors sisters and here at 13 maroon 5 with their song harder to breathe what you are doing are screwing things up inside my head you should know better you never listen to what i said in your pillow and writhing in the niggas way Hoping somebody someday will do you like I did When it gets cold outside I got nobody to love You'll understand what I mean when I say There's no way we're gonna give up Adam Levine, the leading of Maroon 5, has said that this song is about the band's frustration with their label during the making of their debut album, Songs About Jane. They thought they had enough songs for the album and they basically were told to keep writing to classic record label bit. You give them an album, they're like, mm, don't see the singles. Keep working until you've got some singles. And so at the 11th hour, they were like, oh, you want some more songs? Here's some fucking new songs, some songs about how shit you are. And then the record label's like, perfect, put that one out. And they did, and here it is at number 13. In January 2004, although this album, Songs About Jane, was originally released in summer 2002. So a very long journey into the UK Top 40 and the Billboard Hot 100. How did they go from being an album that no one cared about to Maroon 5, one of the biggest bands in the planet? Well, the guitarist of Maroon 5 was James Valentine, who happened to go to college with a certain John Mayer, a singer who is huge in America and who I only know for like dating Katy Perry. But anyway, and John Mayer was on a radio show where he appeared alongside James Valentine. They reconnected and James sent John, I'm acting like I'm their friend, some of his songs and he liked them so much he asked Maroon 5 to support him on tour. At that point, the band started to pick up airplay and then in 
early 2004, they start getting hits. So it's kind of a slow success story there, and it will keep on slowly going on because Maroon 5 will not have their first number one single until June 2012, when they've had their so far only UK Top 40 number one, Payphone. A terrible song, but not as terrible as their biggest selling song, which is their number two hit, Moves Like Jagger. That was released in August 2011, and it's one of the worst songs ever performed by anyone. Exhibit A in the reason why I will never do the 2010s chart show. Moves Like Jagger was in the top 100 for like 60 weeks. Kill me. But that's all in the future for Maroon 5 at this point. They are releasing the first UK single from their album Songs About Jane, which of course led me to wonder straight away, who exactly is Jane? Is it Jane Goodall? She of Hanging Around With The Gorillas? Is it, can't name another famous Jane, Jane off of EastEnders, Ian Bill's wife from the mid-2000s? Well, funnily enough, it's neither of those. It is written about Adam Levine's ex-girlfriend, a woman called Jane Herman. He hasn't talked about her much in interviews, but he once said, I saw this girl at a gas station and I fell in love with her. I wrote a song about her and played it in the store where she worked. It was an awful song. Oh, it was Moves Like Jagger, I imagine. But she, oh, actually, like I say, narrowing down bad Maroon 5 songs might be difficult. But she, anyway, she found out about this relatively psychotic boy. She was my muse for years and then it kind of faded away. God, I can just imagine that. Someone comes into your work plays a song about you that's terrible and you're like oh god that was so embarrassing and then they do a whole album and you're like oh no and now that album becomes a huge hit and you're like oh fuck this is spiraled way out of control so i want to do i did some digging of course on that being a journalist or being who exactly is this jane herman and so that first led me to the maroon 5 fandom wiki which says the following about jane so jane levine was the first wife of adam levine so i'm like oh okay they got married after he wrote songs about jane i think i, I would have uh, gone to a different continent at that point but that's up to jane levine had stopped her from committing her second suicide attempt in late 2001 and they started dating afterwards and got married on the September 7th 2002. Levine and Holland were married for a year and two months before separating. They separated because of Levine's need to travel on account of touring with his band Maroon 5. In the time they were separating Levine wrote the songs Holland to Breathe, This Love and Not Coming Home. This Love would soon become one of Maroon 5's biggest hits topping the charts with the release of the album Songs About Jane which Levine confirmed was written entirely about Jane. I mean what gave it away the fact it's called Songs About Jane. So then what happened to Jane apparently in 2004 Jane Levine died in a car accident at the age of 20. Ooh, that means they got married at 18. Ooh. Anyway, she was, no offence to anyone who got married at 18 out there, by the way. She was hit head-on in Los Angeles, California in on Thursday, September 16th, 2004, when the authorities were alerted it was too late and Holland was declared legally deceased later that night. Levine did not want to accept that his wife was dead. He went to the scene of the accident to see her one last time. So that's what the Maroon 5 wiki says, and I need to tell you that all of that is completely made up. That is, none of that is true. Someone wrote that. Just complete lies. S talk about this little psychotic boy. Who the hell wrote this tragic story about a woman who doesn't exist? Fan fiction has gone too far. So after I'd realised that that was bullshit, I found out that Jane Herman, that's just how I found out by the way, because they say that the Jane who Jane was written about was called Jane Holland. Oh my god, like Mary Jane Holland from Gargoyle's Art Pop, right? Do you think that's a reference? Anyway, don't know. Jane Herman is in fact a real woman. She was a fashion designer and one-time Vogue writer who is now married to Mark Webb the director of the film 500 Days of Summer, who, in a weird twist of fate, was also the music video director for Harder to Breathe by Maroon 5. So it all comes full circle. I think it's actually, I think it's a coincidence though. I think they met years after Adam Levine and Jane Herman had broken up. But what a weird web, eh? Not as weird as the guy who wrote that fan fiction. And I guess, let's be honest, it's a guy. But yes, yeah, so that is who Jane is. She has a clothing band apparently called The Only Jane. Want you to make me feel like I'm the only Jane. 
which I can see is only a reference to the fake Jane from the Maroon 5 wiki. She's like, no, I'm the only Jane, not her. So as I said, this is the first of Maroon 5's 22 top 40s, eight of which we will be talking about because they were in the 2000s. So Maroon 5, they're going to be talking about them plenty. Their next song, the much better This Love, a 2004 anthem. But for now, Harder to Breathe is at number 13. There's another new entry at number 11, but sandwiched in between the new entries is Black Eyed Peas in its 10th week at number 12. You can't say that Black Eyed Peas weren't huge sellers in 2004 with Shut Up. I love you too. I miss you a lot. I miss you even more. That's why I flew you out when we was on tour. But then something got out of hand. You start yelling when I would break plans, even though I had legitimate reasons. You know I have to make them dividends. Weird to think that this Black Eyed Peas song is actually a song when they would just basically end up ripping off songs from the 80s, putting robot voices on them and calling them a day. That's right, coming for you, this time dirty bit. Fuck you. But luckily again, won't ever, ever talk about that because that happened in 2010 and never talking about the 2010s. And this that isn't the bit, by the way. It's not happening. No one's asking for it, but it's not. I'm making that very clear now so you're not shocked in seven years time or whatever anyway we have two new entries left one from the Sid sisters one from the offspring one of them is at number 11 and it is hit that by the offspring song in my music development for a weird reason in fact this and the sisters are so a big week for me so in for christmas 2003 i was 10 nearly 11 i got bought my first mp3 player oh yes very exciting one of those where it had a usb it was it was basically just a usb stick you could just plug it into the computer put your songs onto it had a little display oh perfection my first ever mp3 player by the way 128 megabytes it fitted 30 songs yes Now, in 2023, I bought a revamped iPod Classic from eBay that had been revamped to give it a one terabyte hard drive, which is about, I think, 250,000 songs. So literally 10,000 times bigger than that first MP3 player. But there was something quite nice about that, about having 30 songs. Well, that is until I broke that MP3 player by throwing it at my sister during an argument. Classic. But the good thing about having 30 songs was that you really had to choose like 30 songs you were really committed to and that were, you were willing to listen to, to all the time. And so to this day, I can remember most of them. And one of those songs was Hit That by The Offspring. Why? Not sure. I mean, it's a pretty good song. I find the like, wow, 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 quite annoying now. It's had a bit novelty. But at the time, I loved it. I think it's got a great chorus. Some other songs, by the way, on that iPod. Proper Crimbo by Bo Selector. You know, I got it at Christmas. Both Breathe and Firestarter by The Prodigy. Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand, which I talked about before. Laura by The Sister Sisters. And a few other songs, which I guess I will reveal as we go along and they come back to me. I think I just like kind of, I like cunty pop music and loud and, and abrasive rock music is kind of my vibe. But what is the song Hit That by The Offspring about? Well, Dexter Holland, the lead singer of The Offspring, has said it's about the consequences of promiscuity or the idea that no matter what the consequences might be, people are going to be out there doing it with each other. And the song goes on to say how this can lead to teenage pregnancy and dysfunctional families. Nothing more rock and roll is there than a song against promiscuity. You know, as a rock star, mate, you're supposed to be like, I'm shagging four women a day and it's great. That's my debut single, by the way. I'm shagging four women a day and it's great. But no, he's like, no, don't shag any women. You'll get teenage pregnancy and die. He's basically the original Mean Girls sexual health 
teacher. It's a little embarrassing, I think, to do a song about how it's so terrible that people are having sex with lots of people and having loads of kids. It's a bit kind of right-wing moralistic on the one side, and it's a bit fun sponge on the other. Not a great look, although all this passed me completely by in 2011. I'm sure I had American Life by Madonna on that MP3 player as well, by the way. So yeah, the fact that this is a slightly embarrassing message may be why this is the last of the Offspring's nine UK top 40s. In the 90s and early 2000s, they managed three UK top 10s, including one number one single, which was in January 1999 when the song Pretty Fly for a White Guy got to number one. that was another song I remember being in the kids adventure course school quiz 50-50. If you didn't see this show, what were you doing? Watching ITV? Disgusting. Basically there were two schools, never a school that you knew, you know, you never knew anyone who was on it. I'm sure they were all actors conspiracy. People from those schools would be called up and they would have to do a series of like assault courses basically. But there were also like kind of quiz rounds. One of which was just like general knowledge. They would pick someone in the school and they would be like in science what is an egg? I don't know. <laughs> That's not a great question is it? But then another one they would play a music video and then you had to guess things that happened in it like what t-shirt is the lead singer wearing or something like that. But these were always I don't know who was doing the song booking on 5050. Obviously this is one of the ways in which me, I'm sure there were like PRs who were hounding 5050 to get their song in front of kids. But they always had the weirdest choices. They were not like kid-friendly songs. Like the one I remember this is when we talked about it the last time was Bad Day by REM. Oh yeah, that famously kid-friendly band R.E.M. And the song Hit That by Offspring, which has a kind of video. It's actually quite interesting. So they, it's kind of this character who's like walking through the streets. It's kind of half practical effects and half CGI. So it's like a real mask that someone's wearing, but it has CGI eyes. It's kind of quite cool, but weird choice for 50-50, which is much more of a kind of, you know, Jamelia and Rachel Stevens kind of vibe. Mind you, I'm saying that, that it was not appropriate for kids, but obviously I saw it on 50-50 and love this song. It may have been one of the many reasons why it was on my MP3 player. Also, The Offspring played Hit That on the same Top of the Pops that had Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out on it. So obviously, it was like a residual high from hearing Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand that made everything else on that edition seem better. It's also probably why I was so obsessed with the song Cry by Alex Parts, because that's also that week, despite being a bit of a dirge. So yeah, by the way, if you were the music booker for 50-50 and you're listening, please email in at the 2000s chart show at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at 2000s chart show and let me know why you pick such weird songs, basically. So as I said, the last UK Top 40 for The Offspring, you may be wondering... What have they been doing since? Well, they hit the headlines in 2021 because they had to fire their drummer because apparently his doctor recommended against him getting the COVID-19 vaccine. So those anti-vax views got him fired from The Offspring, which is kind of cool. In looking that up, by the way, I found out that the lead singer of The Offspring, Dexter Holland, is 58 years old and is still doing Offspring songs. Now look, obviously I can't totally be against nostalgia and reliving your former glories, because here I am after all doing a podcast about 20 years ago, but going to see The Offspring and watching a 58-year-old man with spiky blonde hair having to jump around and sing Pretty Fly for a White Guy, it kind of depresses me to my very core. No offence, Dexter Holland. Especially as Dexter Holland could have much better things to do because, and this is true by the way, he has a doctorate in molecular biology. He got that doctorate, by the way, writing an academic paper which described the use of computational molecular biological approaches. Oh god, me reading this makes me seem really brain dead, doesn't it? Ah well, too late now. The original academic paper describes the use of computational molecular biological approaches to identify micro RNA-like sequences in HIV. That was kind of like when they put peanut butter on the PG Tips monkey's lips, so it looked like they were talking. It was like, did I understand the words I was just saying? No. Anyway, so yeah, he got a PhD in molecular biology in May 2017. I'd rather you were studying HIV, mate, 
rather than doing Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Because not only do we need a cure for HIV, but we also need a cure for pop punk. And so by stop doing pop punk, you could solve both at the same time. Also, Dexter Holland, a licensed pilot who apparently completed a 10-day solo flight around the world in November 2004. Quite the guy. And then, you're like, oh, he seems pretty cool. Final line of his Wikipedia, Holland is also an avid collector of stamps from the Isle of Man. Everyone needs a hobby, I guess. Also in the offspring is their guitarist who's called Noodles. Again, the embarrassment of being a nearly 60-year-old man called Noodles. He apparently originally joined the offspring because he was the only person old enough to buy alcohol for the band, which I kind of love. And according to his Wikipedia, at one of the band's earliest shows, he was stabbed in the shoulder by a skinhead. It's tough to be in the offspring, isn't it? But we make fun of the offspring, but they were an important part in my musical journey. When I went into year seven in September 2004, I had a little offspring badge on my school bag that I'd bought from the local goth shop, basically, in central Bristol, in St. Nick's Market. Shout out if there's any Bristolians out there. I had a offspring badge, a Evanescence badge, and probably a Darkness badge. And I thought I was like the metalist kid alive. How tragic. It also started my years of exclusively dating goths, which I've meaningfully brought up last week, and the less of which I said about the better. So that at number 11 takes us to number 10, and it is our last new entry this week, which means for the first time, our highest new entry is at only at number 10. It's a slow week, as I said, but it's going to pick up very soon, and at number 10 is a Stone Cold Classic, Comfortably Numb by the Scissor Sisters. Sisters, a huge band for me in 2004. A real crossroads moment in my music tastes. I remember one week, I may have said this last week, I don't know, I've told these stories so many times they've all bled into one, but people repeat themselves on podcasts all the time. I went to the Sainsbury's in Emerson's Green. I'm just, now this is one of the things I'm going to do, I'll just say places in Bristol that I went to. Representation matters, you know. The Emerson's Green, Sainsbury's, and my mum was like, here is 10 shiny new pounds you can buy. Whatever album you want from this Sainsbury's, always an exciting moment. A rare occasion in my life, but it always an exciting one when you're given money for music. And so I had three choices before me. Did I get the Snow Patrol album, Final Straw? By the way, we will be talking about the Snow Patrol song Run in a few weeks. Do I get the Franz Ferdinand album? After, as I made very clear last week, I love Take Me Out. Or do I get the first Scissor Sisters album? Now look, I was a flouncy kid, that is for sure. I used to do, I think I caught like, accidentally caught like 30 seconds of Sex and City once. And so I would run around in a piece of tool and a bandage top pretending to be Kay Bradshaw all the time at this point. So I was probably gay before buying the Scissor Sisters album. But certainly buying the Scissor Sisters album did set me firmly on my course that I am now. And of course, comfortably numb by the Scissor Sisters, which I have struggled saying. Scissor Sisters is track three on that album. And I certainly wasn't alone in being gravitating towards the Scissor Sisters because this album was the biggest selling album in the UK in 2004, selling 1.5 million copies. They were number one, in fact, beating Hopes and Fears by Keen by just 600 sales. One of the rare examples in pop music where fun one out over middle of the road balladry rarely happens. Look at this week's number one compared to this week's number two, if you want to see an example of that not happening. In case you're wondering, by the way, 
Final Straw by Snow Patrol was at number 9 on the best-selling albums of the year, and Franz Ferdinand at number 17. But you have to love that Scissors Sisters managed to be the biggest band in 2004, despite being gay as the day is long, their songs being about sex workers, and fisting, and gay clubs, and them literally being named after a lesbian sex position, which we'll talk about in a sec. Yeah, you have to love how unashamedly gay their music is, from their references to Jake Shears' falsetto voice, an iconic voice, one of the highest in pop music. Apparently he has a 3.6 octave range, taking him from A2 to E6, with that E6 note being in their song Nightwork. By the way, if you haven't heard the Scissor Sisters album Nightwork, an all-time great pop album, that E6 makes him one of the highest voice singers, male singers, in who've ever charted in the UK. For example, the Bee Gees, who we associate with falsetto, tap out at G5. So they, they are ne- he's nearly can manage a whole octave higher than the Bee Gees, although not the highest ever. Two higher notes that we see in pop music come from Bon Jovi, weirdly. And of course, Prince, who I think can go right up into, into the sevens rather than just the sixes. By the way, just in saying that, I realised that he's called Jake Shears because of the Scissors Sisters. Scissors Shears. Wow, amazing. Cannot believe how dense I'm coming across in this episode. But hey, the truth will out, I guess. So yes, love that they are a high-voiced gay band named after a lesbian sex position, which I say a lesbian sex position, although there has been some debate about whether real women actually do scissor. That is, take two fingers and do peace signs and then join them together. That's basically scissoring. Some people say that this was something that was invented for lesbian porn for straight people and that lesbians don't actually do it. This was a question that was put to Baltimore Out Loud, which is a Baltimore, Maryland magazine that is apparently an independent voice for the LGBTQIA plus communities of the Mid-Atlantic region. Of course, scissoring being when two women rub their Mid-Atlantic regions together. So their agony aunt was asked, I'm hoping you'll settle a debate between my girlfriend and me. She's been trying to sell me on scissoring, but I've only ever heard guys talk about it, and I'm convinced that it isn't a real thing that authentically queer women do. What's the deal? Sincerely, Alison. And so the sex columnist of the Baltimore Out Loud says, Not only is scissoring a real thing, but way more queer women engage in it than you'd initially think. In 2015, the progressively feminist web blog Autostraddle conducted an ultimate lesbian sex survey open to all women who sleep with women, and a whopping 40.7% of the over 8,000 women who completed the survey said scissoring was a regular part of their sex lives. It goes on to say, There's something about the grinding of two vulvas together that drives men crazy. Well, I know it does me. And since male fantasy narratives permeate so much of our culture, scissoring at some point transitioned from a private pleasurable endeavour to a stereotype. Apparently scissoring is an advanced sex move, it's not for the weak, it can be awkward, inefficient, and there's a solid chance you'll kick your partner in the face at some point. I mean, that's every partner I've ever had. I like the jeopardy of the fact I could kick them in the face at any time. It also requires a lot of coordination and a fair amount of core strength. But hey, it's way more fun than going to the gym. So there you go. Any women who have sex with women out there, give it a go. And report back. No, please don't. So there you go. Named after a lesbian sex position definitively that at least two out of every five lesbians are doing. We'll have plenty more time to talk about the Scissor Sisters. They have 10 UK top 40s, including three top 10s and one number one single. One of my least favourite of their songs, actually, I Don't Feel Like Dancing. One more thing to say about them now, though, however, is that apparently Jake Shears and Baby Daddy, who are the songwriter and lyricist of the Scissor Sisters, met animatronic, their female singer, at Disneyland at a screening of Michael Jackson's 
Captain EO, the bizarre Michael Jackson starring short film that used to be in Disneyland. It then adds, during a subsequent teacup ride, not a euphemism I hope, they discovered they had a lot in common. I wish I'd met some of my friends on the teacup rides at Disneyland, but alas, I didn't, and that's why I'm doing my podcast alone, rather than being in an iconic queer band. So there we go, that is our highest entry this week, and so that seems to be pretty conclusive that the number one that we had last week is going to continue, but let's find out. At nine, I'm still in love with you by Sasha by Sasha Paul featuring Sean. Or if you're not deranged, Sean Paul featuring Sasha. That's in its third week, down from seven. That will end up as the 50th highest selling song of the year in between Love Machine and Sam and Marks with a little help from my friends. At eight, Ozzy and Kelly Osbourne's Changes. That's down from six in its seventh week. Two months in the top 10 not bad that ends up as the 35th biggest selling song of the year in between i'll stand by you by girls aloud and get out leave by jojo oh that's a song that i didn't mention in my great songs of 2004 list earlier get out leave by jojo oh can't wait at seven take me out by fans ferdinand Second biggest selling song of 2004, in between Outcast, The Way You Move, and oh my god, Duncan James and Keedy's I Believe My Heart. Wow, what an era. Six, So Confused by Two Play featuring Raga. Fifty-ninth biggest selling song of the year in between Jake One's Tipsy and Robbie Williams's Radio. My favourite Robbie Williams song, in case you were wondering. Five, Mad World by Gary Andrews featuring Gary Jules. I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take. When people run in circles, it's a very, very mad world. This week, 20 years ago, in the album charts... Gary Jules releases his album, the frankly terribly named Trading Snake Oil for Wolf Tickets, which is at number 12 this week and will spend exactly two weeks in the top 40. So not a blinding success. Probably because no one wanted to buy an album called Trading Snake Oil for Wolf Tickets. Do you know what a wolf ticket is? Anyone out there? I mean, I've shown this week that I'm a moron, so maybe you do know, but I did not know that wolf tickets apparently is a slang phrase that refers to counterfeit tickets. So you're trading something fake and worthless for something fake and worthless, basically. It's also got a terrible cover where Gary Jules is like doing a fist to the camera and he has like a star tattoo not an aesthetically pleasing package at all and that might be why it's managed to get some hits based on the success of mad world but not doing great guns against katie malua and dido mad world by the way will end up as the 29th biggest selling song of 2004 in between against all odds by steve brookstein yes that's right the x factor is coming very soon and ozone's dragon star dente aka maya he Maya who. At one point, I used to know all the Romanian lyrics to Dragon Star Dente, so we will see in a few months whether I will be able to remember them. Hello, salut, sincer, un haiduk. Just a little sample. I mean, it's, I say I know the Romanian words, I know the vague sounds of them. I'm not sure, I'm sure if an actual Romanian was listening, they'd be confused. Number four, Hey Ya by Outcast. Don't try to fight the feeling, cause the 
again, reaching its highest ever position. This is now its 11th week. Last week was at nine, now it's at number four. It still has two weeks to go before it will reach its peak. A true underdog story. I mean, as much of an underdog story as you can have for a band that already had a number two hit at this point with Miss Jackson. Hey Ya, by the way, will end up as the 25th biggest selling song of the year in between Thank You by Jamelia and My Place by Nelly. At three, Boogie Pimps is Somebody to Love. also up from number five i think maybe these songs are going up because there's a lack of songs to take their place like scissor sisters the only major competitor this week although as we've said from these songs from 2004 there are great songs coming up so please don't leave me please i promise rachel stevens is coming soon anyway some way to love by the boogie pimps ends up as the 31st biggest selling song of the year so that's again between against all odds by steve brookstein as well and five colors in her hair by mcfly just coming out in april saw mcfly by the way leaving bbc broadcasting house at the end of last year and they walked down Oxford Street in a square like they were a military formation. Very bizarre. So you're just being pipped to the post there by Mad World, which is two places ahead of it, despite Somebody to Love being two places ahead of Mad World this week. And at number two, we have Milkshake by Khalees in its second week at number two. that Michelle McManus has managed a third week at number one with all this time. Khalees will spend two more weeks at number two, by the way. Not wanting to give anything away, but Michelle McManus will not be number one next week, but Khalees will not be able to beat the new entry that gets her place at the top spot. Milkshake will end up as the 14th biggest selling song of the year between Lose My Breath by Destiny's Child and next week's number one, which I will not give away here. So it's behind all this time by Michelle McManus in this week's chart and also behind it in the year-end chart in which All This Time by Michelle McManus will be the sixth biggest selling song of 2004 in between Usher's Yeah and Anastasia's Left Outside Alone. Yes, again, great songs coming from 2004, but let's be honest, All This Time, not one of them. And you can tell that this has not been a strong week for the chart because Michelle McManus' All This Time is selling only 35,040 copies this week. There was stronger competition. She maybe would have been knocked off this week. It'll be the lowest selling week for a single at number one until 23rd of October when Call On Me by Eric Prids sells just 23 thousand copies to get to number one a number that is infamous in chart history as the lowest selling number one single of all time but still michelle mcmanus had two strong weeks before that one selling 117,000 copies another selling 60,000 copies a great start to the year for her she would have been very happy even if sadly the wheels fall off her pop career very quick the calm before the train wreck in michelle mcmanus's career but it's also in the top 40 the calm before the greatness of 2004 really gets going so as i said this is michelle mcmanus's last week at number one but what will be number one next week we have new songs from pink joss stone emma bunton snow patrol u2 and razor light next week will any of those be next week's number one you will find out by tuning in next week but for now thank you for listening usual ending podcast bits spread love about the podcast in let's just do it differently for a bit because i'm tired of the same old shit from podcasts spread love about the podcast into the world please and spread the gospel of i don't know who are we who are we standing this week and spread the gospel of the third Scissor Sisters album, Nightwork, one of the great undersung pop albums. So that is your main job this week. If you could also leave us a positive review on your streaming service of choice, that would be hugely appreciated. You can follow us, if you want, on Twitter, on Instagram, 
Just search the 2000 Shot Show, you'll find it, I'm sure. Keep campaigning for Rachel Stevens to get a knighthood and have a great week. to get involved to try and get some more points that goes for you at home too because it's time to play the observator now in a minute we'll be showing you a music video you need to pay close attention i'll be asking you questions on it in just a while so flynn would you like to dance are you sure i am a computer <laughs> it's baseman jacks and where's your head at <laughs> <laughs> 